Well, as I mentioned, we are wrapping up our Christian leadership series, which may seem a little strange because we ended that series uh, in, in the fall. We had Advent, and now we're starting it back up again. And so we, we did that intentionally because this last chapter of uh, 2 Timothy has that, that uh, wonderful commissioning in there. Um, a commission to preach the word, and I'll just say it one more time, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead in the view of his appearing and in his kingdom, I give you this charge, preach, publicly proclaim the word. Incidentally, if uh, you're friends with uh, the Carusos, the word Caruso is preach. It's publicly uh, proclaim the word of God. Well, this is a weighty charge, and it refers back to 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's God-breathed. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so in Paul's, in Paul's letter to Timothy, he sets out this charge before heavenly witnesses, before God, before Christ Jesus, and the kingdom of Christ Jesus, before all these witnesses, Paul says, preach the word, publicly proclaim this God-breathed word, revelation that God has given to humanity. Well, Paul's charge to Timothy actually has um, four different parts. There is the exhortation to preach the word. There is a warning about itching ears. There are some instructions and, there, uh, and an example. And so... As, uh, as we dive into the exhortation portion, of that, that, that's just uh, the first couple of verses here, it reminded me of the book of Ezekiel. Now, I don't know when the last time you read the book of Ezekiel was. Uh, it might have been recent, or might have been a long time ago, or it might have been never. But uh, Ezekiel uh, is charged by God to, be, to have a specific uh, position. Does anybody know what that position is? It's... Uh, it's the position of a person on the wall that's the watchman. And the watchman is supposed to give the warning. And in Ezekiel 3.17, where God explains that Ezekiel's prophetic office is the watchman, what God tells Ezekiel is that, um, here's the way it's going to go down, Ezekiel. If you present the word that I am giving you, if, if you give out the warning, and someone turns from the wickedness that they're doing as a result of hearing that and turns to me, um, that will go well. And if you present that uh, word of God to them and they don't turn from it, that is also okay by me, as far as you go, not the other person. But if you fail to warn the person, and they do not turn from their sin, their blood is on your head. You're like, wow, that, that's pretty weighty. I'm responsible for them because they didn't turn, only because I didn't proclaim the word of God. And this kind of feels like this. There's this weighty charge that takes place in 2 Timothy. It has that similar feel to it, like this is significant. All scriptures God breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I'm responsible for that. 
The Word of God is spiritual equip, uh, equipping, and it is the only offensive weapon in the Christian's armor in Ephesians 6, 14 through 17. So you might have heard of the breastplate of righteousness and the shield of faith and so forth. The only offensive weapon there is the sword of the Word. And if you were going to head out to a battle, if you knew that tomorrow you had to go to battle, where you would fight, would you go weaponless? Or if you, your, your only weapon was a sword, would you go to that battle without knowing how to use your weapon? What would happen to you? Would you be afraid to do that? And in just such a way, I think we as Christians need to understand the sword, the word. We need to understand the scripture God has given us. Not just pastors, preachers, elders, but everyone needs to understand scripture. And so the word of God is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and righteousness. This is our context. And uh, the next thing uh, is it should be done whether it's convenient or not. It doesn't matter whether it's convenient for you to, to share the word of God. Uh, it's to be done in any circumstance. Now, in the early fall of 2009, my family came out here, and we were going to help plant a church, and we had a bad day. Uh, that morning, uh, we, we were trying to move into the community. We were living with friends. We were trying to move into the community, and, and uh, we lost a house that we had in escrow, and um, for no fault of our own, it just fell apart. And so my mom was in town. We went to an ice cream parlor, and I've told this story before. Um, a, a, a man and his grandson came, in front, uh, came into the ice cream parlor while we were discussing what had just happened, and, and uh, the, the, the uh, grandfather fell down, had a heart attack, and I found myself pumping his chest. And uh, he, had, he had a heart attack, had 100% blockage, and he lived. And uh, my wife Asha said, well, uh, this is our ministry, is bringing the dead to life. Now, later that evening, so this is, it's a long day. We lost a house. We had this whole incident take place. And then that evening, it's like 9 p.m. And once again, we're kind of sitting down trying to, you know, sort out what's happened through the day and kind of unwind and everything. And I get a phone call and someone said, um, yeah, you know, um, you know, it's Saturday night. Uh, the person that's supposed to preach uh, for us is uh, unable to do so. Can you come and speak to us? And I'm thinking in my heart, no way, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I'm exhausted. And, uh, and I looked at, uh, at Asha, and she said, yeah, you got to do it. Um, in season and out of season, whether it's convenient or not convenient, preach the word. You cannot properly teach what you do not know. Sermon prep normally takes me 15 to 20 hours a week. We're trying to do leadership tasks and different things for the church on top of that. It takes a long time. And I or somebody else can get by with, without doing that 15, 20 hours a week on a given week. Um, but if I do that in the long term, it, I end up working out of a, an empty cup. And so there's a certain amount of preparation that has to take place. It's true for preparation for defending the faith, for preaching the word. Uh, Mike Erton recently shared a story about um, his mom. He, he shared his faith with his mom right before she died. It was the last thing 
The last interchange that took, took place between them, as he shared his faith, she came to Christ, she passed away. Preach the word, in season, out of season. We believe that a person's spiritual condition has to do with um, their eternal destiny. And so we want to apply the word of God to the life God has given to us. We want to correct, rebuke, encourage. Correct those who have it wrong or need to more fully understand the truth. And we need to make sure we're right when we correct that person. Uh, rebuke those who are in sin or committing evil and encourage those who need courage. But there's a warning here. And uh, so, so there's this exhortation, first of all, to share the word, and then there's a warning. And here's the warning. People are going to have a demand for other teaching. Uh, you're going to share the word of God, and people are going to want something else. Uh, Paul con contrasts throughout the book of 2 Timothy, he contrasts hygienic teaching with gangrene teaching. He said, here's wholesome, truthful teaching that I'm going to present to you, but people are going to want this other teaching that's not good for them. They're going to create a demand for false teaching. And they're not going to endure what is right, true, and helpful for them, but instead they're going to follow their epithumias, their passions, their lusts, their desires, multiplying teachers because their ears are itching for their own passions. Have anybody been inflicted with an economics class? So a couple of us have had to go through economics. And so on one side, there's demand, right? There's a demand for something. And what do you need if there's a demand? Supply, right? So there's a demand. True situation here, regardless of what you think about drugs, um, there's a demand for drugs in the United States. And that demand enables another side of the equation, a supply that's going to take place from other countries. And that supply sometimes ends up in the death of individuals. All sorts of terrible things happen on both the demand and the supply side. Well, here we say there's a demand for false teaching, and so there are false teachers who are willing to supply the false teaching to fulfill the demand. And that's what's taking place here. There are false teachers that are willing to supply what people's itching ears want to hear. Now, what do people's itching ears want to hear? The truth is there are very few atheists. There are very few atheists. There are people who put themselves down as nuns or they put themselves down as, you know, they, they don't uh, follow organized religion. But what that most often means is they follow some sort of God, deity, higher power. But they either don't want to get too close to that God, deity, higher power. They, they can kind of, in their heart, acknowledge there may be one, but they don't want to know too much about that because that, that may create an accountability factor in their lives. Or the other thing that happens significantly here is that they might want to make their God custom-made. 
We're sort of the Starbucks generation here, you know? Would, how many, would you like a double, how do you, I can't even say the, the different things that people say for, you know, they order something, I'm just like, whoa, that's, that's, that's I've never heard of that one before. But, but we, we live in this land where people can custom make everything and everything's catered to them and we custom make our gods. And so instead of acknowledging that God made us in his own image, we try to create God in our image, or at least in the image that we would like God to be. And so those tend to be the different ways it goes down. There is a demand for false teaching, and there's a supply. Would you like the God that you just don't see too much, keep him, you know, uh, not too often? Or would you like the, the kind of custom-made Starbucks sort of God? We can give you one. Just get one of these false teachers or multiply your false teachers, and that'll work out for you. And so what should Timothy do here? Well, Paul says, here's some instructions for you. First of all, keep your head. Um, in light of God's calling on Timothy's life, publicly proclaim the word of God in the context of a people who have, for the most part, forsaken sound teaching. He says, uh, be sober in all things. The NIV says, keep your head in all situations. The ESV says, be sober-minded. The Holman says, be serious about everything. But I think... I like the King James, in this case, the best. But watch thou in all things. Keep your head. Watch thou in all things. Yes, watch thou in all things. Keep your eyes open. With your eyes open, endure hardship and suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Endure suffering. Now, <clears throat> who thinks that God might ask you to do something difficult? Is the, path, is the path before us that God has set before us easy? Should we go with the path of least resistance and should we say the way God is calling me is the way is the easiest way? Is, is that by default the right way? Oh, it seems to be the path of least resistance. I think God is clearly opening a door for me here, but it doesn't always work out that way. And here Paul tells Timothy, endure hardship. Be a resilient Christian. Don't give up. Do the right thing. Do what you know in your heart of hearts is right before God. Do it with integrity. Do it even if it's difficult. Keep your head. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. How often have you done the work of an evangelist? Uh, the word Evangelism comes from the word, the gospel. You know, Angelion, it's a Greek word, and so when you hear evangelism, basically it's just applying, and the word gospel just merely means good news. So, so the work of sharing the good news. Now, do you believe in heaven or hell? Do you believe there's an eternal destiny for your soul? Do you believe that Things that we do on earth, sharing the word of God with another person makes any difference on a person, another person's eternal destiny. Well, if we believe that the words that we speak, that this person's spiritual condition makes a difference on their eternal destiny, and we love them, we will share the word of God with them. Why wouldn't we? If you had somebody that was hanging over the edge of a cliff and they're hanging on by a hand, and you could pull them up out of harm's way, would you do it? It's sort of the same principle. Do the work of an evangelist. Share the good news that a person's eternal destiny might be forever changed. And then 
discharge the duties of your ministry. Now, the duties of your ministry might be very different than the duties of Timothy's ministry. What ministry has God given you? What spiritual gifts has God given you? Has he made you generous? Has he made you hospitable? Has he made whatever you might do? And we're all to be uh, acting in a godly manner. There's no excuse for not. But God has given each of us special gifts too, I believe. And are we discharging those for the sake of others? So Paul delivered his charge to Timothy. And then he shared an example from his life. And, and really, he's saying, uh, look at my life, present, past, and future. Presently, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. Anybody here want to be poured out like a drink offering? Uh, the idea is that um, your life is completely poured out as a drink offering is before the Lord. When, when a drink offering is poured out, there's nothing left. It's all gone. It's all been completely poured out before the Lord. And Paul said, the end is near. I know the end of my mortal life is at hand. I am about to physically die. That's my presence. And if you look to my past, nothing's been held back. I fought the good fight finished the race, kept the faith. Well, earlier, Paul said, uh, this is what you should be like, Timothy. You should be a soldier. You should be an athlete. You should be a farmer. Soldiers fought the good fight. Athletes finished the race. And interesting, uh, I have kept the faith as sort of the, the farmer piece, but the farmer is sowing the seeds, and the Christian farmer sows the seeds of the good news. Paul has done all of that. In his past, he has done it fully. There is nothing left. And so the future, what is in store for Paul, is a crown of righteousness. Not the leafy crown, the winning runner, the eternal crown of the heavenly champion. And the crown will be awarded by the Lord. All of Paul's longing and striving and enduring the gospel work will be rewarded. And the personal cost of Paul's ministry has been incredibly high. But the victor's crown is worth it. Now, about this crown, it shows up. I don't know if you, if, you might be thinking, we Christians get a crown? I thought that Christ is the only one that has a crown. Well, it turns out that children of God get crowns. Go figure. 1 Corinthians 9.25, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. James 1.12, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. 1 Peter 5.4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. And in all of this, we follow the example of Christ Jesus. Hebrews 12, 2, For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Philippians 2 talks about that same principle. Jesus humbled himself. God lifted him up. Our job is to humble ourselves. God's job is to lift us up. We don't put a crown on our own head. That is the thing that God does for us. But we need to keep our eye on the crown. To keep our eye on the crown. 
Now, um, I had two purposes here this morning. One of them is we wanted to commission some elders, future leaders of Life Spring Community Church, or present leaders of Life Spring Community Church. The second thing is, uh, I am hoping that all of us can become more resilient Christians with our eyes on the crown. I, I would like us to grow in our Christianity. I would like us to grow in our faith as Christ followers. And does anyone uh, remember Casey Kasem? Remember that? Yeah, that's kind of a blast from the past there, huh? Um, you probably don't know this, though. Kemal Amen Casey Kasem was an American disc jockey, musician, historian, radio personality, and actor. He was the original voice of Ruggie Rogers and Scooby-Doo. His voice showed up on Sesame Street, The Transformers, many other places. But what I remember Casey for is, what do you think? America's Top 40. And at the end of every America's Top 40, what did Casey say? Keep your feet on the ground. Come on, you guys know it. Don't you know it? Keep reaching for the stars. Keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars. Well, brothers and sisters here at Life Spring Community Church, there is something God has for us as earthly creatures. He's promised a heavenly crown. And so what I'd like to say is, keep your feet in the ground and your eyes on the crown. Keep your feet on the ground and your eyes on the crown. I wrote a letter to you, which I probably will send out. But uh, I want to read it to you, and I'm going to finish with this. <clears throat> and I'd like you to take it to heart. This is a letter dated January 12, 2020. Dear brothers and sisters at LifeSpring Community Church, I'm ready to encourage you to keep your eye on the crown. It's easy to lose our bearings in a world where our culture's values clash with the life we are called to live as Christians. We make decisions every day that reflect what we value. The question is, do those decisions more clearly reflect our faith in Christ or our culture? Our culture, especially the subculture, often prioritizes our hobbies, sports, arts, entertainment, and so forth, over our relationship with God. And so when we interact with others, it's easy to get lost and forgetful about what is most important. But Christians are called to keep their eye on the crown of righteousness that is stored up for them in heaven. Uh, as athletes keep their eyes on the ball, Christians are to keep their eye on the crown. Idolatry is simply disordered desire, losing sight of the crown. And when we desire activities, possessions, talents, human relationships more than God himself, that is idolatry. Jesus' disciple John wrote in his first letter, uh, this is John 5, 19, we know that we are children of God. 5:21. dear children, please keep yourself from idols. Now, practically speaking, I encourage you and myself to prioritize Christ over culture. If you have time for coffee, you have time for prayer. If you have time for soccer, you have time for church. 
If you have time to read, watch TV, or spend on your devices, you have time for the Word of God. Our calendars and wallets don't lie. They tell us the story of our priorities. How we spend our time and resources can be an accurate diagnostic of the condition of our hearts. If you're a parent and prioritize activities over the church, you're teaching your children that those activities are more important than worshiping God and spending time with his people. If you prioritize how your children perform and over how they conduct themselves, you're teaching them that what they do is more important than who they are. Instead, show your children how important God is by prioritizing prayer, memorizing scripture, leading by example, and serving others. Do our decisions more clearly reflect our faith in Christ or our culture? Jesus died so that we can have life that is truly life, life that is eternal, life in God's presence, and Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. He's invited us to take our place with him. In light of so great a salvation and an invitation, I urge you, my brothers and sisters, to live our lives fully for him with our feet on the ground and our eyes on the crown. With love, your brother in Christ, Cabot. I'm going to send that letter out, and I really encourage each of us to take it to heart because it doesn't matter if we come here on Sunday if it, our lives are unchanged. They need to be changed, and our priorities need to be straight. If we're leaders, we're not exempt. In fact, leaders are judged more harshly. All of us need to be, have our eyes in the right place. Now, uh, I'm going to pray for us, and we'll have the Lord's Supper. And then uh, there's an offering, and after that, we have a couple songs. Now, during those two songs, um, we have an opportunity uh, for prayer. If you'd like prayer for this matter or something else, um, there'll be people towards the back that will be happy to pray for you. I encourage you to take that up. Um, We all need that And also during the Lord's Supper, there's sort of a quiet time. That's another time to kind of connect with the Lord. So I just really encourage you to to take this to heart, to chew on it a little bit, and to pray over it, and see how the Lord leads you. God is calling you and I to be resilient Christians. Please bow your head with me. Father, we thank you for your word. What an amazing thing that you would reveal yourself to us, Lord, and, and also that you would say that um, there's some sort of position for us in heaven that we can't quite understand, that what we will be is far greater than we could imagine right now. But nevertheless, Lord, help us to have our eyes set upon you, upon Christ who died for us, whose blood was shed for us, not for no reason, but that we could be children of God. Help us to live as obedient children, as children who are hopeful for what you will surely do. And I pray that you would speak to us today, this week, and the days ahead. In the name of Christ, amen.